Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 160 with Paul Ciarto. Paul brings his martial arts discipline and wisdom to bear when it comes to sizing up some big picture strategic challenges. So you're going to learn, one, how to assess root problems quickly. Two, why identifying current facts is more accurate than merely relying on history. And three, the deep down source of tremendous confidence. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep160. And I hope you'll check out some of our other cool resources while you're over at awesomeatyourjob.com from the Gold Nugget email list where we take the notes for you. You wish you could take pen to paper, but you're running, driving, no can do. We can do, and we'll send it right to your inbox with the prescriptive wisdom the guests share in an email you can read in under two minutes. Each morning a guest appears or the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course about slashing waste out of your work week and having more free time to do cool strategic thinking like Paul's talking about or just get home a little early. So check those out at awesomeatyourjob.com. And if you will forget, it's all good. Just text NUG, N-U-G, to 444-999. You can also sign up that way. Here's Paul's story. Paul Ciarto is a renowned business transformation expert. He's currently the CEO of Campana and Shot Inc., controlling all operations throughout the United States. He holds numerous degrees and certifications, including an MBA from Oxford. He's also a lecturer at Rutgers University Continuing Education and the Wharton School, a member of the advisory board for Argus Soft and Delcon Construction, and a practicing martial artist. Watch out. He also teaches Krav Maga and tactical training as the combat CEO at his VMMA franchise locations. Here's Paul. Paul, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Pete. Well, you have a really interesting background story. You mentioned that you could have very easily ended up living a life of crime. What's the story there? I grew up in Union, New Jersey, kind of like in the Union County area. So Union, New Jersey, Irvington, you know, the the bad spots of New Jersey. So and uh, my dad, he was an entrepreneur himself, but he was also a, uh, a very abusive, hard to live with alcoholic and uh, drug user who um, pretty much, you know, we lived a life of chaos trying to uh, more or less survive on a personal note. And, you know, when I was a kid, we moved like 26 times by the time I was 17, just due to uh, the craziness of living with my dad. You know, and uh, when I was younger, you see what your family does, you see what your dad does, you look up to certain things, even though they're, you know, whether they're right or wrong, you think it's something you should be doing, getting into. And not that I got into the drugs and alcohol side, but, you know, he did some crazy things when I was a kid. And, you know, you thought it was okay. And uh, that's where I found myself. So in the middle of Irvington, (laughs) Union County, doing bad things as a kid. So, and uh, I remember when I was 16, 17, I got into a lot of trouble with fights on the streets. I was probably a, kind of a bully back then. And you wind up in front of a judge. Next thing you know, the judge says, hey, you're joining the military, right? And at the time, I didn't really understand what he was talking about. And next thing you know, I was in the US Navy at the age of 17. So I could have really went down that path of a life of crazy 
crime, with drugs, alcohol, theft, violence. But um, somehow, some way, some judge more or less saved my life. So I had to go into the military and that pretty much changed my outlook on life. Oh, that's fantastic. And so, well, so glad to hear it that you're on the good side here. And so what happened in the Navy that turned it around? So, you know, I'm coming from a, a life of lack of control, lack of parental discipline. And uh, I remember the first day I got into boot camp and it was, let's just say it's a whole lot of uh, hurry up and wait. And if you don't do what they tell you to do, it's a hell of a beating <laughs> that you could never expect. You know, it's not a physical beating. It's more of a mental beating to where it's, um, they put you through such physical activity, mental stress to where you learn really quickly that, you know, they don't take crap. You do what you need to do. And there's a reason for every single thing you do. And I'd say the first day you try to more or less revolt a little bit. You try to test the waters and they straighten me out really quickly. So I remember it was, um, you know, I didn't want to do something. Next thing you know, I'm standing in front of a division of 180 people doing push-ups for two hours. That makes you listen very quickly. So, and uh, from that point on in the military, everything that they had us doing had a benefit. There was a strategic path for everything you did from cleaning the floor to learning how to work on satellite communication systems. You know, there was always a purpose. And if you followed the guidance that they gave you, it turned out to be a tremendous benefit to not only the team, but to yourself. I'd say that's what really turned me around is I started to look at things from a broader perspective beyond, you know, hey, what can I do with this today? But what can I do with that tomorrow? You know, how does it benefit my life? How does it benefit the lives around me? How does it build a team atmosphere? And for eight years, I learned that philosophy really well. Oh, that's so good. And I think we're also going to hear a little bit about some of your martial arts discipline entering the picture to add to that. And so maybe you could help frame things for us. So your firm, you've had some quite impressive results in terms of boosting revenue by 300% and bottom line growth by 600% in one year. So that's intriguing. Can you start us off by telling a little bit sort of you know, how you were able to do that, I guess, first from just like a business strategy perspective, and then kind of more pointedly to a sort of personal practices and philosophy perspective? I've probably worked with, I think on my own from a, you know, owner operator standpoint, I've probably worked with 22, 23 different assets right now. I'll actually put it back on the military to where everything has a purpose. Everything has what I call a SOP, standard operating procedure or a template of how you should be doing business. And if you look at business out there, whether it's manufacturing, pharmaceutical, services, all business has a common template, you know, a way of practicing. Okay? Everyone's looking to generate revenues, everyone's looking to manage costs, everyone's looking to boost their bottom line. So, when it comes to, you know, operating a new business such as the one with my recent endeavor, I came into the organization and the first thing I'm looking at is focusing on really people, processes, the technical infrastructures to uh, support the people in the processes, and what are the models to generate revenues, cost efficiencies, and so on. You know, you got to think if you're a small business and you're trying to build the organization based on specialists, you need to have a lot of work that allows that specialist to stay busy long periods of time. And I mean, these specialists cost a lot of money. And if you don't have a contract, long-term contract, they're going to be 
you know, doing a single job based on whatever specialty they have. And then you need multiple people to support the client. So we went to more or less a generalist model to where a single resource can manage one full client or multiple clients. And then you start optimizing resources from a on-prem versus remote activity standpoint. And then you're able to do a lot more with a lot less. You're able to change your bottom line, your net margin model, and you're able to reach out to more customers. So that's kind of what we did with the current organization I'm with. And we saw results within the first three, four months to where you know you saw customers more interested in working with us. It was easier to create diversified cash flows. It was easier to work on more customers at a single time. And I did it with a lot less resourcing power. Understood. Yes. And so I guess I'm curious to hear you said something kind of bold in my estimation in terms of like everything has an SOP, standard operating procedure for how you should be doing business. And so that's very intriguing. I'd like to hear a little bit. So when you enter into these situations, are you able to kind of quickly recognize up That's wrong. That's not as it should be. Or how does that kind of mental process unfold? And again, I attribute this to the military and even to martial arts. Now, think of it like this to where everything has a foundation. Okay. When you build a house, there's a foundation. And every foundation in the world is going to be one of two types it's going to either be a basement or a slab. Okay. So there's not a lot of diversity with the foundation. Okay. Then when it comes to the house, all houses, they're all going to have walls, they're all going to have windows, they're all going to have a roof. Okay. So the thing is, that's where the diversification of the organization comes from. So when I look at a business, I don't look at it as this is a pharmaceutical versus a manufacturing versus a service oriented or an IT. I look at, okay, well, what is the premise of the business? So that's kind of what I do is I try to create a template, a foundational template that I walk the organization through. And I'll go through kind of a more or less a scorecard list of questions on how they've built their foundation. And that's when you can start picking apart where the true problems are, okay? Because most organizations, they don't have a problem with just, you know, uh, for example, at a pharmaceutical company, you know, they don't just have a problem with delivering a quality product, you know, or not making enough sales, you know? There's a root problem with that. Maybe there's a quality issue. Maybe there's a manufacturing issue. Maybe there's a cost issue to where, costs are too high. Maybe they've estimated it incorrectly. Understood. Could you share with me some of the most powerful questions that are applicable, I'd say, to the people side of business that universally, as opposed to some of these strategic revenue cost matters? I'm curious to hear when you said they had the wrong people. What are some of the key questions you ask on the people side? And then how do you drive that to finding some root causes? So when it comes down to really trying to analyze an organization in regards to finding the root problems, I'll use my current organization as a great example. So when I came into my current endeavor, so the first thing I do is I look at the books. Okay. I look at their PL statements and their balance sheet. So that pretty much gives you a really good understanding of where the organization is financially. And what happened when I joined this organization is um, you know, they were taking on a loss consecutively over a three year period. So the first thing I did was you go to the owners and you start asking questions regarding the loss. Okay. You start investigating what type of resource structure that they have set up. You know, what is the management profile? You know, I started asking questions as 
far as what is the revenue value per billable resource? You know, what is the organization bringing in for the resources as a whole? So you got to think if we're bringing in a million dollars and we have 10 resources, logic states that if everyone's billable, you should be bringing in no less than $100,000 per resource, okay, from an equal distribution standpoint. So now to make money, you have to look at the cost base for those resources. And that's what I'll start investigating, okay? So if it had a cost base of 50K per person, then we're looking at 100% profitability on that set. So now when I start looking at organizations that are losing money, typically it's from a resourcing standpoint, okay? So resources are typically the most costly part of the organization. You start trying to understand how is the resource set structured? You know, where's the management? And with this company, we found that out of the 10 people, and I'm just giving you an example. So let's say it was 10 out of the 10, I would say it wasn't an equal distribution. It was more like two of them were bringing in 80% of the value. So right. two of them brought in 800,000. The remaining eight were bringing in a lot of GNA costs. And many of them weren't being utilized because they were specialists. And if you don't have a job for the specialist, what do they do? They sit. Same thing from a pharmaceutical or manufacturing or whatever standpoint. I mean, if you have resources sitting on a bench or, you know, machinery down that, you know, people can't work on or uh, products not selling, so you're not producing and they're not working. I mean, it's all kind of the same premise. So I really start with analyzing their P&L to understand where their profit and loss is. I try to understand what the cost basis of where they're losing money or where their gains are. And so in our case, we had two resources that were, or 20% of the resources were bringing in 80% of the revenue. So you identify that, well, wait a second, guys, these are only two generalists. They're working single projects by themselves. And they're also the lead resources that are able to guide the lower level resources. So, you know, instead of having eight people that are doing nothing, why don't we hire two more that can also bring in that type of value for the effort being provided, you know? So that's pretty much what we did. We restructured the organization, removed some management layers because you don't need, you know, multiple managers to manage, you know, 10 people anymore if you only got four. So we were able to decrease costs tremendously and increase the value opportunity per person. So that's more or less where I start. And then it's people process technology, in essence, to where you start looking at. Then I typically take a look at the processes of how efficiently is the organization accomplishing tasks, for example. And what are some telltale signs for, oh, there's inefficiency? Well, some telltale signs are going to be, so if you look at, from a project management standpoint, a project has a finite start and finish date. And if you're exceeding those timelines, there's going to be a problem somewhere. And typically it's because expectations haven't been properly communicated and or there's a lack of understanding of where or what we should be doing from a scope delivery standpoint. So that's kind of a telltale sign to where same thing with a, again, I'll go back to the large pharmas or this and that. When you start missing deadlines, okay, you got to think, who defines a deadline? You do. I mean, you're the owner (laughs) of the company. You're the one in charge. So you define the deadline. So it comes down to expectations and scope that define what that deadline is. So if there's communication happening, should we miss any deadlines? Probably not. Certainly. And so you've shared then some of the ways that you find some problems or opportunities, depending on your point of view. Yeah, that's actually really good. It's not problem. It's opportunity. 
opportunity to make the organization better. And so then I'd love to hear now in terms of what are some of your best practices when it comes to the kind of communication, rapport building people side of this in terms of getting folks to buy in, be interested and do what you discover? So that's actually a really good question. This actually is a good follow up to what I was going through. And, you know, I walk in and the CEO goes, well, what are you doing here? What could you do to help me? You know, and it comes down to I'm not a salesman. All right. I'm an information provider. All right. So I'm here to provide you with facts regarding your organization of why it's failing or why it's succeeding. And if you listen to those facts and we document the facts together and we analyze those facts together, and if we create a plan of execution together, you can probably make your organization better. So when I work with organizations, it's not about me convincing them. It's not about me selling them my service. It's actually I'm there. I'm there to help. And I let them know that right away. I'm, you know, I actually, that's what I start when I meet them. I'm here to help. Some of the things we may not agree on, but together we're going to identify the facts of what's happening with your organization. And here's a good thing. Numbers don't lie. Okay. So I'm here to quantify what's happening with your organization. I'm not here to be quantitative. You know, I'm not here to say you're doing well or you're doing badly. You know, I'm here to say, well, here's what the numbers say. And based on your goals for the organization, if you want to have a bottom line margin of 3% and you're at 1%, we're not hitting that goal. So whether it's good or bad, you know, let's identify, here's the fact. Now let's identify what's affecting the fact, okay? I was working with a large, it's called an EPC customer. So they do construction management for huge companies, okay? And we were analyzing why their bottom line was only 2%. And when I'm working with you know, the C-levels and the executives and so on, they sit back and they say, well, this is what it is. It's always been this way. Mm. And I said, well, what could we do? You know, let's analyze, let's take a look at this because history isn't always right. Okay. Just because it's always been 2% doesn't mean it's right. You know, let's take a look at the organization holistically because if you think, if you're working with a $10 billion company or a $20 billion company, a 0.5% increase in the bottom line that's a considerable amount of money, you know? So when you start speaking like that, hey, you know, it can't hurt to review, can't hurt to analyze the organization or try to identify the facts, you know? And then once you do, people's eyes start to open. You know, they sit back and they say, wow, I didn't realize I was paying this much money for an ERP system like Oracle. And this is the value it was providing me, which wasn't much, or, you know, I thought it would be providing me more value or more efficiencies within the organization. And if you can make recommendations that make sense, that could, you know, decrease operative cost, increase efficiencies that affect that bottom line by fractions of a percentage on large multi-billion dollar companies, those are big numbers. So for me, it's less about convincing and it's more about providing them facts on where their organization is and working together as a team, back to that military driver, of how to make it better. And so when you share these facts, I'm curious, do you encounter some defensiveness, some folks who they feel like you're attacking them or saying they're incompetent or not good at their jobs because you're highlighting the problem slash opportunity that the facts share and they're responsible for it? So here's an interesting thing about people is that 
especially when you get into the C-levels, executive level management, you know, what's the problem with people? Okay. We're all too focused on, what's that word? It's called pride. Okay. We're all too focused on being wrong, not being right enough, you know, having our pride tampered with. The fact is, even the best CEOs in the world, even the best, you know, entrepreneurs in the world, we all make mistakes. We don't see all the details at all times. And it comes down to, one, ensuring you have a good team. And that team is both internally facing plus external resources like guys like myself that can come in and see things from a different or broader perspective or a more focused perspective that reveal facts. And do I get people that, you know, they turn around and they get very upset, they attack you, they say, this is impossible. How can this be? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm the CEO. This is a, you know, the fact is I'm there for a reason, <laughs> you know, and if you were doing the job that was expected of you, or if you had the ability to see certain things, you wouldn't need them, you know, and you wouldn't need certain people on your team. So, so let's say I'm there for an eight hour session. The first session is what I like to call the informative posturing session, you know, to where I explain who, what I do. They explain how great they are. I reveal a few facts. They explain how great they are. I explain a little bit more about what we can do with those facts. Then they start realizing, well, wait a second. He's not here to hurt me. And the fact is, if they accept the visibility that's provided regarding their organizations, I'm not the one that looks good. They're the ones that look good. You know, My job is to make them look better. Okay, so that's typically how it works. First hour, you're going back and forth a little bit here and there, trying to learn each other, trying to understand that, hey, I'm here to help. And if you allow me to help you, you're going to look great. So it's uh, I'm here to make you a better operator. You said a point about if they're transparent, then it works out all right. Oh, transparent about me providing information and them accepting the information. Actually, I haven't had an issue in a long time. So the resources that I deal with you know, you'll always have that initial confrontation, you know, the headbutting a little bit in the beginning. And it's not because I'm there to prove myself, you know, it's, they're there to more or less prove that they're not wrong, that they're not making mistakes, that they're being a great operator. And uh, when it comes down to me revealing facts, and then you want them to be as transparent as possible about how their organization is operating. So, it's a foundation of trust also. So when they realize that I'm not there to hurt them, they start opening up and they start revealing certain qualities about the organization that are good, bad, that could be improved, some areas that are great, you know? And uh, that's when you start working as a team to rebuild that engine. Excellent, thank you. Well, Paul, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure we mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things real quick? No, I think when it comes to... Um, being in business, it comes down to uh, just having confidence in your ability. And if you know there's a problem, state the facts and uh, stick with it and realize that you're on a team to make the uh, organization better. Okay. Thank you. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? That's actually funny. My, uh, I'll give you a story. I would always hear these quotes and um, my wife, I would turn to my wife and I would say to her, I was like, hey, Cheryl, what the hell does that mean? And she would always go into the details of what it meant and so on. And ever since then, I just, I never really got into the quotes, but 
There is one by a, uh, I don't know if you know him. There was a movie made after him, the uh, 13 Hours from Benghazi. All right. I can't even think of his name right now, but he has a great quote called Embrace the Suck. So (laughs) I take that as when times are tough and when you hate life and you hate the situation, embrace it. Because if you stick with it, keep your head down, keep on moving forward, it's going to be over soon enough and you're going to be that much better of a person. So embrace the suck. I like it. Okay. And how about a favorite tool, whether it's a product or service or an app or software or something, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I would say pretty cool tool, product. I would say right now, we're in the process of, I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but we're in the process of expanding out. I'm into martial arts heavily and we're building out some franchises right now. So um, called VMMA. And there's actually a pretty cool tool out there that will help every single small business owner and entrepreneur called Fiverr. Okay. It's a site that allows you to pretty much do everything and anything for about five bucks. So it gives you the opportunity to work with some really great resources for low cost with pretty good results for the price. And so what things have you used Fiverr for successfully? And you said, wow, that is good work. And I am pleased with this exchange. So uh, about four years ago, I released a company that did uh, construction management. And one of my resources built this great video. It was like one of those cartoony introduction videos. And I turned around and I'm like, wow, this thing's amazing. I can't believe they put this together in the amount of time that I gave them. And it was so good. You know, I praised this person to the end. And then they turn around and they go, I got to tell you something. (laughs) I didn't build that myself. I actually had some help. And I go, what are you talking about help? Who paid for this? And they said they did. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't let them bear the cost of this video. This is insane. This probably costs thousands upon thousands of dollars. And I found out, you know, after a few drinks, they revealed they only paid five bucks. And I wanted to, I was like, oh my God, you had me going for some time. So, So that was the first thing to where, you know, Ever since I learned about it, it's in my back pocket. Well, you got to show us that so we can get a sense for what a $5 cartoon video can be. <laughs> I will tell you, you can all go to DelConConstruction.com and there's an intro video right on the homepage. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you flourish? Oh, so this is where we get into the martial arts. So I would say I am a, I wouldn't say I'm a professional fighter. I could fight pretty well. But I would say that I am a professional martial artist and I've been doing this for years. And martial arts to me is all about more or less synchronizing the mind and body to prepare you for the next challenge. So you got to think military, even before the military, I did martial arts when I was a kid and that helped a lot from a, uh, you know, you kind of have to get into that Zen moment before taking on a huge challenge. And one of the struggles I see with a lot of people out there is that they do not prepare their mind and body together before they take on that challenge. So I'd say that is the greatest hobby that I have is uh, pretty much on a daily basis. I go out to one of my gyms. I probably work out for an hour to two hours doing different types of martial arts. And that helps me prepare for the next day. So uh, calms my mind, exhausts my body, allows me to go to sleep restfully and uh, wake up energized and ready to kick some more butt. Oh, that's great. 
And tell me, is there a particular nugget or articulation of some of your message or wisdom you share that tends to really resonate with people, getting them nodding their heads and taking notes, et cetera? Well, it's, um, we've only had so much time together and it comes down to, um, for me, I'm all about the never give up attitude. And no matter how hard life is, could be worse. And life is what you make of it. So I actually have a lot of mentees, whether they're, it's at a top university or, you know, someone, one of the local neighbors, you know, it's just about digging in deep and bringing out the best of you on a daily basis. Okay. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would tell them to go out to uh, my website, paulciardo.com, P-A-U-L-S-Z-Y-A-R-T-O.com. They can reach me there or through any one of my many entrepreneurial activities or take a look on LinkedIn and same thing, Paul Ciardo on LinkedIn. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Every day I hear the challenges of life and running a business, running a household, dealing with kids. And I would challenge everyone to, instead of looking at the negative side, okay, looking at the challenges of life, you know, focus on what this headache can do for you, what it can build for you, you know, how it can prepare you for the next headache. You know? So, um, and after working with those headaches and really analyzing them, you start building a template for life. And uh, you start realizing that there is no challenge too big. There's no uh, obstacle you cannot overcome if you apply the basic template of life and business. All right. Well, Paul, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I wish you lots of luck and keep on rocking out, breaking many boards at once and doing what you do. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me, Pete. Well, that's fun with Paul's perspective. It's some kind of high level strategic stuff, but I think it's absolutely useful to know, even if you find yourself in the early part of a career, if that's where you happen to be, just so you sort of know what are the executives and CEOs thinking about and thinking like, and what are some templates or language pieces you can use to make your points persuasively. I dug that part about the facts and that's where the confidence and persuasion comes from. And it's kind of hard to argue with the fact being the fact. So no matter what your stature, you can be persuasive in that way. So again, if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced here, including that Fiverr and sample video piece, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep160. And I hope you'll push subscribe if you have not already. So you'll catch folks like our next guest. Well, next it's Memorial Day. I've got a quick reflection on a lesson I seem to forget a number of times and re-remember. And after that, we've got Patrick McGinnis. He's talking about being a 10% entrepreneur. I know some listeners are interested in maybe going their own way. And he's got a great view on how that can be done in a prudent way that will also enrich your current job role, career stuff. So I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 